Chapter Sixteen of The Lady in Blue by Augusta Groner, translated by Grace Isabel Colbron. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Mueller goes to Venice. Joseph Mueller sat by the car window, looking out on the landscape that sped past the train. His lips moved softly. I shall find what I seek down there by the southern sea. He paused with a start and sat up straight but his thoughts ran on, somewhat amused just now. I wouldn't dare let anyone know how much I trust these intuitions. It would injure my reputation. We poor mortals think we have to be so intensely practical. We hate to acknowledge that all our best conscious brain effort is not worth half as much as one flash of this mysterious something we call intuition, something that whispers to us from outside of ourselves. Facts are all very well in their way, but— and by the way there is some fact connected with the name of lochner which is trying to edge itself into my memory what is it yes it's something connected with that forgery case i laid over we'll look into that later at the next station muller sent off a dispatch to police headquarters in vienna then put everything else out of his mind except the case on which he was now engaged that is he tried to but in spite of the iron discipline his trained will exerted over body and brain one charming recent memory would persist in pushing to the foreground the memory of a rich toned voice the memory of an unusual personality if i were younger thought muller with a smile and a half sigh i might envy hubert lore his wife venice sunshine colors joyous noise a press of eager gondoliers a swift passing over green waters between peering old houses signor grunwald genial host of the hotel d'italie doffed his famous black velvet cap one of the sights of venice and greeted muller with enthusiasm welcome welcome he exclaimed aloud then whispered as he helped his guest up the steps what is it this time embezzlement or murder murder my friend grunwald replied muller but i do not yet know who the murderer is or what his motive you will know you will said grunwald confidently he himself escorted Mueller to the comfortable room that had been his on former visits. "'You'll find it out soon,' he repeated as he threw open the windows. "'How cozy it looks here,' said Mueller, glancing about the room. "'I feel so at home. No, friend, I'm growing old,' he continued with a touch of sadness. "'No man can expect to do at sixty what he did at forty. My brain and body alike are losing their elasticity.' "'You needn't worry,' exclaimed Grunwald. "'I hear wonderful things of some of your later exploits.' By the way, do you still insist on your one hundred convicted murderers before you retire? Mueller smiled sadly. I made the vow in an evil hour for me, an hour when society had cast me out for a deed that any man with blood in his veins or a sense of honor would have committed. My life had gone to pieces, but I promised myself that I would serve society in spite of its treatment of me. But somehow, as the years go by, I begin to understand that the average human being, no matter what he may do, is to be pitied, not hated. Grunwald laughed merrily. Yes, I've heard stories about that, too. That last murder case, the husband who killed his wife. When you caught him, after no one else could, you gave him your own revolver. Why not? The woman was a beast. The poor man had suffered enough. I wanted to spare him disgrace. And the woman you took into your house? The thief whom you engaged as housekeeper when she had finished her prison term? How are you getting along with her? Mueller's gravity relaxed in a smile. I never was more comfortable, never was better served, nor more honestly. I never lock anything up now. Once in a while I do remember to close my safe. But that's all. When I took Katie from prison, I said to her, if I miss a single piece of paper or a single lead pencil, 
you'll leave my house at once. And if you should take anything of value and try to get away with it, you know that it will be only a few days or at most a few weeks before you'd be behind prison bars again. I was more sure of myself in those days, but it helped, believe me. Katie's been with me for eleven years, and I never had a better servant or ever expect to. Mercy me! exclaimed Grunwald. I wish I were a detective and could get my servants out of the prisons. Then I might have some peace and comfort. Have you been doing any more of that sort of thing? Mueller opened his bag and took out some papers which he slipped in his pocket. Then he turned to his host. If you don't give me away, I'll tell you that I have had a chance to save a human life, to save a human soul. I'm afraid I, shall we say, evaded the law a little in doing it, for I took under my care a young lad who had killed his mother's defamer after he had escaped from prison, and believe me, I did well. Ossip Julef has talents along my own line, which are well worth cultivating. He is now a capable assistant and will prove a worthy successor. Are there any letters for me, Grunwald? Nothing yet, said the hotel keeper. I've been watching the mail like an impatient lover ever since I heard you were coming but I'll get it to you whenever it comes. What are you going to do now? My gondolier and a native secret service man are waiting for me outside. I'm going over to the Lido. Just like a regular tourist? Your man's over there, is he? Poor chap. Yes, said Mueller. I do feel sorry for him, if he is my man. Hello, you don't even know it yourself? No, I've never known so little after finding out so much as I do about this case. Is the case of long standing? It happened on the 29th of May, an apparent suicide which, however, is a murder. And today is the 9th of June. Good gracious, exclaimed Grunwald. That's not two weeks. Most detectives would take a month on a matter like that, and then pride themselves on their cleverness. I don't, said Mueller, and I know I'm growing old. When they landed on the Lido, Mueller told his companion, the secret service man whom the Italian police had put at his disposal, to wait near the wharf while he himself went to the Pension Mantini. He walked through the garden and was just about to touch the bell at the door when he heard voices coming from behind a clump of bushes that concealed the entrance to the kitchen. "'Don't be so mad about it,' said a man laughingly, and an angry woman's voice answered, "'Why shouldn't I be mad when I get fired for no reason at all? "'Tisn't true that I went through his desk. "'I never touched a thing in his old room. "'But there's no pleasing this Mr. Faulkner of late. "'He's scared of anybody.' A door slammed somewhere, and Mueller thought to himself that things were coming his way. An angry, discharged servant is a valuable ally. He rang the bell, and the door was opened by a trim little maid with snapping black eyes. Mueller inquired whether the Marchesa Mantini was at home. No, sir, answered the girl. Her irritation of a moment back still sounded through her voice. That doesn't matter, said Mueller kindly. You may be able to give me the information I need. You belong to the household, I suppose? Yes, sir, I belong to it yet, she snapped. Mueller smiled at the sharpness of her tone and laid a few silver pieces in her hand. The anger faded from her black eyes, and she smiled at him most engagingly. What would you like to know, sir? Mueller sat down in the comfortable chair she pushed forward to him and began. I want your promise of discretion, first of all. Oh, of course, sir. Very well, then. How long has Mr. Faulkner lived here? "'Oh, it's him you're interested in, is it?' asked the girl. "'If you please, my dear, it's up to me to ask the questions,' said Mueller very definitely. The girl blushed and answered quietly. "'Mr. Faulkner has been here about three weeks. I can tell you the exact date, sir, if I look in my book. I had charge of his room until today,' she added with a snap. "'Go fetch the book,' said Mueller calmly, paying no attention to her irritation. She returned in a few moments with a big notebook. 
He arrived on May 12th. He's got something the matter with his lungs, I think, sir. Anyway, he looks awful sick, and he coughs badly. Indeed. And has Mr. Faulkner been here right along since the 12th of May? The girl started, but did not answer for a moment. She knew that during this time Richard Faulkner had been away for a few days. But the Marchesa had cautioned her not to say a word about it to any of the other boarders. They were to think that Mr. Faulkner was ill and had stayed in bed those days. Louisa had not been informed as to whether there was any important reason for this secrecy or whether it was merely a whim of the young man's. She took it for granted it was the last, and besides, she'd been given five lira to talk, and she intended to talk. She was glad to play a trick on the suspicious young gentleman who wouldn't believe a decent girl's word. She looked through her book, put her fingers in several pages, and then said low and cautiously, There was no work to be done in his room from the 26th through the 31st of May. He was away those days. He may have been just over in Venice. Mueller's faded cheeks flushed slightly. Just over in Venice, you think? But you're not sure that he might not have gone further away than just Venice? Louisa shrugged her pretty shoulders. He took a little valise with him and an extra overcoat. It looked to me as if he was going further away this time. Did Mr. Faulkner go over to Venice often? Oh, yes, sir. He stayed out overnight a couple of times. May I see your book myself? It's a rather important matter, and I must be absolutely sure. I want to see myself what you have written. Louisa laid the book in front of him and pointed to various places. Mr. Faulkner has room number three, she said, and I take charge of it. Any day when I don't have to make the bed and fix the room, I write down a knot. Mr. Faulkner always had his breakfast in his room. See, I've marked a one here. That means I took the tray up. It's for the room service charge. You see there's no one for the 27th of May. That means he didn't have any breakfast that day. He'd left the night before. I took his overcoat and his bag down to the gondola right after supper, and he told me that I mustn't tell anyone in the house that he was going away. If anybody asked, I must say he was ill and in bed. He went off an hour later as soon as it was dark. And you don't know why he went away or why there was so much secrecy about it? No, sir. I only know that he got two telegrams, one right after the other, that day. I thought maybe someone sent for him. Mueller studied the book carefully. Then he was away from this house from the evening of the 26th of May until— But you didn't bring him any breakfast on the 1st of June, either. And you didn't fix his room? You said he came back on the 31st. Yes, sir, he did. He came home late on the evening of the 31st, but he felt very ill. He told me not to wake him up next morning, that he wanted to sleep. It was nearly noon when he rang for me, and he looked miserable and only wanted a little tea and soup. He didn't come down till that evening, and he looked so miserable that everybody believed he'd been ill. There's one lady here, Mrs. Lechner, who knows Mr. Faulkner's mother. She got so scared, the way he looked, that she wanted to write his mother. That's the first time I ever saw Mr. Faulkner impolite to a lady. He was almost impolite to Mrs. Lechner. Louisa paused and tilted her head a bit as if listening. "'What's the matter?' asked Mueller. "'They're coming downstairs, Mr. Faulkner and his sister. What shall I—' "'Just keep quiet, my dear, and pretend you don't know anything about me. Pay no attention to me.' Louisa caught up a feather duster and began vigorously dusting the ornaments on the table. Mueller took out a handkerchief and wiped his brow just as the young couple passed. His face had been completely hidden by the movement. When they had gone, he turned to the girl again. "'That young lady is Mr. Faulkner's sister?' he asked. Louisa nodded. "'She's only been here three days. Her name is Mrs. von Weidner. "'Thank you, my dear. I'll follow them.' Louisa looked after him as he strolled away. 
she got out the money and looked at it and smiled a contented smile in which was mingled a touch of malice the couple whom Mueller was following walked along the main street that crosses the island there were so many people strolling about that Mueller could follow without any fear of discovery he was so near them at times that he could hear snatches of what they were saying the young lady was enthusiastic about some theatrical performance she had seen the day before but Faulkner only grumbled a few words now and then he looked pale and ill and decidedly depressed they parted at the entrance to the bathing establishment and Mueller heard them planning a walk to malamoco after the bath and then a supper on the terrace of the concert garden it was the pretty young matron who was the moving spirit in all this her brother was not interested in anything she held his hand and looked at him keenly i don't like the way you look at all richard you're so nervous and yet so depressed do you feel worse do you think you'd better take a sea bath rather than sit somewhere quietly in the sunshine he laughed harshly yes i see myself sitting quietly that's about the one thing i can't do now i much prefer to go into the water that is not intended for a joke he nodded to her quickly before she could say anything more and slipped through the entrance of the men's bath Mueller looked around and found his italian comrade right behind him are those the people you're following asked the secret service man in a low tone yes or rather the man what are you going to do now i'm going in bathing good gracious do i have to bathe too said the italian with a smile Mueller shook his head no you can stay on dry land let's follow my man now it might be a good idea to get the number of his cabin Mueller stood in front of the cashier's window immediately behind Faulkner. the latter asked for his usual number Mueller took a check and he and his companion followed the young man down the hall the attendant who came to meet them greeted Faulkner and opened the door of room number thirteen Mueller got number twenty and told his companion to wait outside he undressed quickly and waited at the head of the steps leading to the water until Faulkner should come finally he saw the young man coming down the hall between the dressing rooms in his scanty black jersey suit his extreme thinness contrasting with his well-knit broad-shouldered frame was far more noticeable than in his street clothes this man is terribly run down thought Mueller. it can't be just his wound and the subsequent illness can it be mental trouble too poor chap i shall really be very sorry if you are the man i'm after and yet as the detective followed Faulkner down the steps into the ocean he said to himself rather sadly and i'm terribly afraid you are the man i want it would have been too strange a coincidence he was away from the twenty-sixth to the thirty-first and since then he has been upset and nervous Mueller dived into the waves that rose up to meet him when he came up again Faulkner was just ahead of him shaking the water off his hair and breathing quickly as if his lungs still troubled him he looked around as he heard a friendly voice saying isn't the water delightful here Faulkner nodded to the kindly-faced elderly man opposite him for the freemasonry of sea-bathing permits what the more formal life on land would not allow they clung side by side to the rope while Faulkner explained that he had just been seriously ill and was not allowed to swim yet although the daily dip in the ocean did him a world of good his new friend introduced himself as mr Mueller from vienna dealer in antique weapons and armor he said that he too didn't care very much for swimming because he so seldom had the opportunity for sea bathing that he was getting rather rusty at the art he would dart off a few swift strokes now and then but return at once to his young compatriot by the time they climbed out of the water they were such good friends that Faulkner himself invited Mueller to spend the rest of the evening with him and with his sister Mueller had cleverly maneuvered to bring about this invitation 
it's hard to enjoy oneself alone said the young man with a pleasant smile and to tell you the truth i'm very glad to have someone else with us my poor sister is here only for a few days too and i know i'm boring her to death with my nervousness and my melancholy there's been too much on my mind of late and i know i'm wretched company so i'd be very glad if you will have supper with us and listen to the music for a while before you return to venice won't you go up for a little walk with us now to warm up after the bath Faulkner spoke with all the easy charm of an amiable man of the world but even while he was talking it was evident his thoughts were elsewhere muller noticed it and rather regretted it the veteran detective's kind heart was getting the better of him again and he confessed to himself that if the thoughts of this very attractive young man were in salzburg as his own were that same heart would once more come into conflict with his duty oh dear he sighed to himself i could almost wish it had been goldie boy he was a tougher sort even before mrs von weidner joined them muller gleaned the information that part of walkner's nervousness was due to the non-appearance of a letter for which he was waiting a messenger from the pension met him outside the bathing establishment and told him that there was no mail for him in the afternoon delivery walkner was quite upset at this as they walked along the shore he would either hang back or else pace beside them scarcely uttering a word he evidently wanted to be left alone Mila von weidner watched him anxious and embarrassed she apologized to their new friend i'm afraid you'll find us rather stupid company she said when walkner had fallen some steps behind them my brother is usually the gayest possible sort and a great favorite everywhere but he has been very ill and it seems to have changed him completely sometimes i think his mind must have suffered as well as his body it looks to me as if he were worrying about something replied muller sympathetically couldn't you find out what the trouble is it might be quite easy to help him if you only knew mila sighed deeply ah yes if only i knew what the trouble was but richard won't give me the slightest intimation oh how much easier life would be if only we could and would trust those near to us muller exerted himself to the utmost in his desire to please these new friends and to win their confidence he was so interesting that even walkner began to join in the conversation here and there and would occasionally laugh heartily at some sally when the first stars appeared on the blue-black sky above them and the fresh evening breeze came up from over the water the three returned to the concert garden the best of friends we have some little time yet before supper said mila von weidner so if you don't mind i'll run home and scribble off a couple of letters i'll get my coat too and i'll send or bring something for you richard you'll keep him indoors won't you mr muller don't let him even go out on the terrace until he gets his overcoat she walked quickly off down the broad street and the two men went into the big hall which was now almost empty the italian secret service man strolled in a moment or two later and sat down a little distance away here's a nice comfortable table mr faulkner and not a bit of a draught anywhere said muller cheerily taking the young man's arm and leading him to the corner near the big window his comrade of the police remained standing talking to a waiter until the others were seated then he chose his own table and settled down to a bottle of wine and a big black cigar muller ordered chianti for himself and tea for walkner make it hot said the latter to the waiter who took the order he shivered as he settled back in his chair are you chilly said muller i get shivery so often now answered walkner those sudden shivers they're so unpleasant yes i know i had a feeling like that just the other day said muller looking keenly at the young man's face he had placed the chair so that the light fell full on walkner he paused for a moment and walkner evidently feeling that some remark was demanded of him inquired politely what made you shiver 
As he spoke, his eyes followed two fine-looking women who passed them, followed them, but with very mild interest. Mueller spoke slow and calmly. I held a dagger in my hand, the blade of which was dulled with recent bloodstains. That was interesting. I suppose you do meet queer things in your business. Did you just happen in on a quarrel? They use that romantic weapon in this country more than they do in our home. Faulkner spoke with the same absent-minded calmness while his eyes still followed the women, but his thoughts were neither with them or with the words his companion had just uttered. Mueller held his breath for a moment or two. Now he let it out with a faint sigh of relief. He had made the first test, and Faulkner had passed it well. No, this was not the man who but a few days before had thrown the blood-stained dagger away in horror. It could not be, for Richard Faulkner was so utterly run down, so utterly unnerved, that the sudden scream of a seagull made him start, and a child running too near the water had turned him ghastly pale. No man whose nerves were so little under control could have heard Mueller's words so calmly if these same words had awakened in his mind the memory of the hideous hour in the gray house. Mueller was too experienced a psychologist not to realize that he had followed a false trail. In his own preoccupation with the one important bit of evidence against Faulkner, his secret absence from the pension on the critical day, the old detective had overlooked one point, and he blushed as he remembered that now. All his own discoveries in the gray house had shown him that it was not a premeditated murder, but a hasty act of violence. When Faulkner left the Lido, if he had gone to Salzburg to see Elise Lehman, he had no reason whatsoever for keeping his departure a secret. His departure, his absence, and the secrecy connected with it, as well as his first nervousness, must have some other cause. Mueller felt convinced of this, but he would not let go this trail until he had made one or two more tests. For even if Faulkner were not the man he was after, he might be able to give him valuable information. His own attention was diverted just now by the appearance of an old man with a cap of the Hotel d'Italie. The man came in the hall, looked around, and then came towards Mueller. Oh, Mr. Mueller, he exclaimed, I've been looking for you for nearly two hours. Mr. Grunwald sends this telegram and these two letters. They came about an hour after you'd left. Mueller thanked the old man whom he knew well from former visits, gave him money, and told him that if anything more should come it was to be left at the hotel until his return. He took a letter-opener from his pocket and cut the envelope rather hastily. Faulkner looked at him, smiling. So you're nervous, too? I thought you were one of the calm, poised sort who never knew what it was to be excited. I've been envying you your steady nerves all the afternoon. Even my nerves are not what they used to be, replied Mueller with a light sigh. Will you pardon me if I glance over this mail? I fancy it is important. Faulkner nodded and took up a newspaper. Mueller opened the telegram first, read it quickly, and nodded as if content. Ossip is very intelligent, he thought as he slipped the paper into his pocket. The message was dated that morning from Lintz, and it read, Have handwriting of advertiser of June 2nd. Advertisement was given in Amstetten, Julef. Mueller looked at the two letters in deep thought for a moment before he opened them. He took up the commissioner's letter first because he thought it likely that what Ossip had to say was more important, and he wanted to leave that for the last. Also, Senfeld's letter was official. Mueller opened it and read it attentively, pausing now and then as if to think. He was evidently greatly interested in what the commissioner had to say. Then he took up his young assistant's letter. Ossip repeated what Senfeld had said, also Moser's story of the conversation in the garden between Elise Lehman and some other woman with whom she was evidently on terms of intimacy. 
Then Ossip told the story of his visit to the old beggar and its scanty result. But there was one thing that he had to say of which the commissioner had evidently known nothing, for the very good reason that Ossip had not told him, and it was this very point that interested Mueller more than anything else in the letter. In talking to Ossip about Tony, Mrs. Diesler had said one day that it was queer how even the most intelligent women were vain. When Ossip asked for an explanation, the housekeeper told how, on the day when Baron Walroth and Professor Thorne had come to the house, Tony had her face wrapped in a cloth on account of a bad toothache. But when the good-looking professor had sent for her to come upstairs, Tony had taken off the disfiguring bandage. Ossip's letter went on to say, I asked Mrs. Diesler how long Tony had worn the cloth, and also when the telegram had arrived announcing that the men were coming. It seems that the telegram arrived about eleven o'clock in the morning. Tony's toothache came on right after lunch, about twelve, and the gentleman came to the grey house about three o'clock. It was half-past three when the baron drove away, and Tony took off her bandage when she went upstairs to see Professor Thorne. It looks to me as if Tony had pretended this toothache so that she might hide her face from Baron Walroth, but she did not mind showing it to Professor Thorne. Evidently, he did not know her. But if the baron did know her, and she did not want him to recognize her, why did she linger on in the grey house? Why did she run the risk of having him recognize her? I found one of these personals in the piece of paper in which Tony had wrapped the money she gave the beggar. It was the Linz Gazette of the 31st of May. The other two personals were in the same paper in the copy of June 2nd and 3rd. There was no other similar personal before the 31st of May or after the 3rd of June. I do not think I have missed anything, in the hope I have been able to serve you usefully. I am going to Linz tonight in hope of finding out who put that personal in the paper. Your deeply grateful, Ossip. Salzburg, June 8th. Then Mueller opened the letter which Ossip had enclosed in his. It was from Berlin, from Walter Thorne. He wrote, My surmise as to the person we are seeking has proved quite incorrect. As I fear you noticed, I did have someone in mind, a man whom I knew to have been a lover of the layman girl at one time, and whose passionate nature might have made such a deed comprehensible. But I find now that he spent those days here, going about his business, in the usual way, perfectly calm. I hope sincerely that I have not sent you off on any false trail, for I realize now that not every man is a detective. One thing I do not regret, and that is that I have gradually, little by little, let my cousin see the truth about Elise, her character and the life she has led. He is much calmer now, almost cold again, and is evidently glad that he escaped this marriage. He tells me now that Hubert Lore, Elise's stepbrother, warned him several times about her, warned him insistently, although he would not say anything definite, but he evidently did not approve of the marriage. I am returning to Vienna with Walroth. Mueller studied the letter for a few moments, then folded it and put it in his pocket with the others. Then he rose, and to Wagner's great astonishment, he walked over to the man who sat at the table near them and spoke to him. They shook hands, and the man at the table called up the waiter, paid his bill, and strolled out of the hall. When Mueller returned to his table, Wagner looked at him with interest. Was that man a friend of yours? I didn't notice that you greeted him. I didn't, said Mueller, but I told him now that I no longer needed him, that he could take my gondola and go back to the city. Need him? What would you need him for? asked Wagner with youthful curiosity. But he did not wait for the answer, for there was another interruption. Louisa, the maid from the pension, came up to the table and handed Wagner a letter and his overcoat. The lady sends these, she said, and she'll be here herself in less than half an hour. Wagner snatched the letter hastily, with a murmured thanks to the girl. 
He looked with an instant surprise at her sudden flush and start when she saw Mueller. But a moment later he had forgotten everything and was immersed in the letter he held in his trembling hands. The girl stared at Mueller, who looked at her as if he had never seen her before. But when he realized that Faulkner was completely absorbed, he motioned her to go away. Then an exclamation across the table drew his attention to his companion again. Faulkner had dropped the letter in his lap, his hands were clasped, and he looked up almost as if praying. Oh, thank God, thank God, he murmured. Then he straightened up, stretched his young frame, and the color flooded his pale cheeks. He looked ten years younger. His eyes met Mueller's, and the latter smiled in deep sympathy. You've had good news, he said. Yes, indeed, exclaimed Faulkner. The best of all news. I can now live like a human being, not trembling in terror of what the next moment might bring, in terror of— He paused, then shook his head. No, I can't talk about it now, not even to my sister. You won't mention it to her. I mean the effect this letter had on me. Can I depend on you, Mr. Mueller? Most people find they can depend on me, said Mueller, and besides, I'm leaving Venice tomorrow morning, and I have my head full of my own affairs, so that you need not fear any indiscretion on my part. But there is something I must say to you before Mrs. von Wiedner's return, and I, too, must ask for your discretion. Mr. Faulkner, I have deceived you as to my person. I am not a dealer in antiques, but a detective, and there has been no element of chance in our meeting today. Faulkner sat quietly, but his face was ghastly pale, despite a strong effort to control it. His hand tightened on the edge of the table until the skin shone white over the knuckles. Mueller's keen gray eyes rested on the young man's face. You know Elise Lehman? he asked suddenly, but this shot produced a wholly unexpected effect. The color flushed back into Faulkner's cheeks as a sigh of deep relief passed his lips. The tenseness of his whole attitude relaxed to an expression of complete surprise. Why, yes, I knew her. Exactly. Knew her? Then you've heard? Of her suicide? Yes. It upset me, naturally. I can understand that. You were once on terms of intimacy with her? How did you know? You say you are a detective? I am a detective commissioned by Baron Walworth to discover the truth of certain peculiar circumstances connected with Miss Lehman's death. That's interesting, said Faulkner, leaning forward eagerly. Did, did Walworth send you to me? I should think he had had quite enough of what I can tell him about her. The telling cost me dear. Oh, I beg your pardon, you may not know. Of your duel with Baron Walroth? Yes, I do know that, replied Mueller calmly. To himself, he said, I am following a false trail. This man is absolutely innocent. He knows nothing whatever about the killing. Then he continued aloud, No, the Baron did not send me to you. The conduct of the investigation is entirely in my own hands. But what is there to investigate about a suicide? That is what I am to find out. Would you mind answering me a few questions? Faulkner nodded with a light shrug and a half laugh. If they're not too personal. No, I am not concerned with your relations with Miss Lehman, but you may be able to tell me something about her friends, male and female. There's a girl, for instance, who wrote to her during May and mentioned you, saying that you were here. Oh, yes, I know who that was, said Faulkner immediately. Her name is Rita Egghart. She's a little actress who was engaged at the same theater in Vienna with Elise Lehman. She was in Venice for a few days in May. I met her on the street and talked to her. Mueller took down the name and address, and then he said, Do you know a man she called Goldie Boy and Honey Bunch? Faulkner flushed and gave an embarrassed laugh. She called me Honey Bunch, too. The other one must have been after my time. Yes, he was the man in possession when she became engaged to the Baron. I've met him. What sort of a person was he? asked Faulkner. Sort of a traveling salesman, I think. 
no great mental light husky young animal that was mainly what elise was after that and money said Faulkner bitterly don't be unjust muller's tone was grave did you or any of the others except possibly baron walroth ask anything of this girl except that she should amuse you with her gaiety and charm you with her beauty you never bothered much about the brain that was inside that beautiful head or the heart that beat in her shapely body Faulkner's eyes drooped and his cheeks flushed muller continued in a more kindly tone but all this is beside the point can you tell me of any other woman with whom elise lehman was on terms of intimacy i am thinking now of a very pretty highly intelligent young person whose first name is probably tony and whose last name begins with k why of course said Faulkner eagerly his eyes brightening that's a former fellow-player of hers and now her sister-in-law a charming woman indeed i don't mind telling you that i tried my best to win her favor first but tony wasn't that kind she took life seriously and-and and she turned me down hard elise was very handsome and didn't take anything seriously except the money value of a wealthy lover so i contented myself with her why mr muller what's the matter you look quite upset the sudden tensing of muller's frame and the sharp intake of breath that flooded his cheeks with color had given way to an expression of deep sadness please let me get this clearly he began not heeding Faulkner's last remark you said that tony was the layman girl's sister-in-law as far as i know elise layman had only one brother her stepbrother hubert lore quite right hubert lore tony has been his wife for the past three years her maiden name was kerner End of chapter sixteen